I want to thank Rob for letting me come and teach. I'm going to be teaching out of 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, if you want to turn there. Well, let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that uh, you have spoken this truth to us, and we pray that you would help us to believe what you say is true and help us to put it into practice. Amen. Well, I'm not sure if you're familiar with 1 Thessalonians or both letters, but I'm going to give you a little background um, to this letter. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Church of Thessalonica, obviously the title. Uh, Paul wrote this letter about AD 51. Um, Thessalonica became a great the capital of Macedonia in about 168 BC. If you're not familiar with where Macedonia is, if you would look at a map of Europe and you follow Italy down to the very bottom, it's called the Italian boot or the boot of Italy, and the heel of the boot is to the east of the boot, and if you cross the sea to the east, that's where Macedonia is. It's part of former Yugoslavia before they broke up in the 90s, but that, and that's also where Paul had his Macedonian call. So that's kind of the location of it. Um, it had the status of a free city. It was ruled by its own citizens under the Roman Empire. It was a coastal town, very important town, uh, by a major Roman road. It was the largest, most important commercial and political center in Macedonia. Um, it was a cosmopolitan metropolis inhabited by many cultures, and it was known as the mother of all Macedonia. So it was a big, important city. In Paul's day, it was about 200,000 people. Um, many people groups, many cultures, many belief systems were there. There was barbaric, Germanic people there. They brought their pagan religions and culture. Greeks were there. They brought their refinement and philosophy. Romans were there. They brought their strength and their wealth and their political power. And also Jews were there. And they brought their monotheistic faith and national prejudices. So you had this hodgepodge melting pot of people, groups, languages, cultures, and sin. Um, so Paul went to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. And when he arrived there, he, as custom was, he would go to the synagogues and preach the gospel to the Jews first. And every time he, we, went through, we went through Acts uh, during this men's fellowship, and every time he would go somewhere, uh, he would go to the Jews first. Some would receive, uh, and some would not. They would reject the gospel. So Jews, some Jews believed. A great multitude of the Gentiles believed, uh, but the unbelieving Jews were envious of Paul's ministry, of Paul's crowds, of uh, Paul's following. So their typical behavior was to work up a crowd against Paul. And Paul and his companions were evicted uh, from the city. So Paul had many reasons uh, to teach and to write this letter. I'll give you a few of them. And then I'm just going to pick one topic of all uh, the, I, the things that he talked about. So he encouraged the church. He answered false allegations. He, co he comforted the persecuted church. He expressed his joy concerning their faith. Uh, he spoke about moral purity. He condemned a lazy lifestyle, and he corrected their wrong understanding of prophetic events. So that's kind of the basic outline of the topics. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, uh, and today I want to talk about Paul's teaching on how we should walk and please God. Very practical teaching. And I want you to know that anytime I apply the scripture, and I say, are you doing this? I want you to know that I've already pointed my finger at myself during preparation. <laughs> I've, I've prayed through this sermon, so when I say, 
to you, I'm talking to myself. So I don't want you to think I'm not doing that. So let's read First Thessalonians 4, uh, 1 through 8. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. So verse one, finally then brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how we ought to walk and to please God. So Paul and his companions urged and exhorted the Thessalonians in the Lord Jesus. That's the key phrase there. They didn't promote their names, their ideas, their reputations. They weren't promoting themselves. Uh, And Paul added weight to his words by appealing to Christ in everything that he said. Paul wrote with the authority of Christ himself. Therefore, the Thessalonians were urged to listen and to obey to be hearers of the word and to be doers of the word. So when you read the Bible, what do you think about it? Do you think the Bible is only words of men or do you believe it's the actual words of God? Is it, uh, if it's only the words of men, take it or leave it. If it's the words of God, you have to make a decision. There's no straddling of the fence. Uh, there's no middle ground. Uh, you either accept and submit to the authority of Christ's words or you reject him and you walk away. Uh, There's no middle ground. Paul exhorted the Thessalonians to do something. He said they should abound more and more. That word abound means to be in excess, to excel, to be the better, to exceed, to increase in something. So what did he tell them to abound more and more in? In chapter 3, verse 12, he told them to increase and abound in love to one another. In this verse, he tells them to abound more and more in two things. He says he teaches them how they ought to walk, and he teaches them how they ought to please God. That word walk uh, has to do with our life, how we live, the way in which one is living, the entire activities of one's life, moral conduct. And as you read through the scriptures, some of the themes that Paul talks about, he says Christians are to walk in newness of life. They are to walk after the commands of God. They're not to walk after the manner of men. So how is your walk with God? Are you abounding more and more with him? Are you improving, excelling, exceeding, getting better? Are you stagnant? You know, how is your life before God? What kind of activities are you involved in? How is your moral conduct? Is your walk pleasing to God? Are you walking after the commands of God or are you walking after the commands of men? Those are the things that we should ask ourselves. Verse two, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. There's that phrase again, through the Lord Jesus. Paul reminded the Thessalonian believers of what they knew. They knew the commands given to them by Paul through Jesus. 
their knowledge of God's commands were to determine how they should walk before God, how they should please God. God's word is our, our reference point, it's our GPS. It's, this is what we, this is the lens uh, that we should look through when we live and make decisions. If you're a believer, you should know the commands of Jesus. Do you need a reminder? <laughs> Read the Bible, study it, meditate on it. Your knowledge of God's commands should determine how you walk before God and how you please God. How is your knowledge of God's commands impacting your life? Are you a hearer only? Are you a doer of his word? Perhaps at this point you're not a believer. Um, I'm losing my place here. <laughs> if you don't know God's commands, come to church. Hear God's word taught. Study the Bible for yourself and find out what the God's word says. And do, and do what it says. God's word is the basis of how we walk and please God. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. When I became a Christian at first, I used to struggle with what the will of God was. And I always thought it meant, you know, where should I go? Who should I marry? What should I do? And really, it's how, how should you live? You know, this is the will of God, how you should live your life, sexual purity. So that word sanctification, it means holiness, separation to God. It's a position of being separated to God by his grace. When the Thessalonian believers put their faith in Christ, God set them apart. It's like he's, he divided them from the group. He separated them to himself, and he separated them from the ways of the world. Are you a believer in Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus? If you have, God has set you apart. He separated you to himself. He separated you from the ways of the world. Paul told the Thessalonians, God's will is their sanctification. You know, I believe that if we would live the way we should live, everything else would take care of itself. I think of, I think of Joseph. Joseph was a godly man. He feared God. And God naturally got him where he had to go and eventually led him to Egypt. There's no way he could have worked that up himself. I just think he was pure. He ran from Potiphar's wife like the plague. He resisted, he fled, and God got him where he wanted him to be because he was fulfilling God's will for his life and, and, and purity. So Paul told the Thessalonians God's will is their sanctification and he put them in a position of separation to God by faith and grace, not of good works. Since God placed them in a position of separation to God, their, their lives, their walk, and their conduct should reflect their position. Like I said, the position is sanctification. It's not something we earn or work up. It's something that God puts us in a place of. And then once we are in that place, our lives should reflect the position we're in. So if you're a believer in Christ, if God has separated you to himself, your life, your walk, your conduct should reflect this. God wants you to be like him. Ephesians 5.1 says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. He wants us to be like him. I think I like watching fathers with their children, and you can see how sometimes those kids, they model their, their father's behavior, and they look up to him, and they, and they want to be like him. That's, that's what we should, we should want to be uh, like our Heavenly Father. So Paul told the Thessalonian believers that what their conduct should be. He said they should abstain from sexual immorality. 
That word sexual immorality comes from the word pornea, uh, which is the form of the word porn, pornography. It has to do with illicit sexual intercourse, illicit sexual behavior, sexual behavior unlawful and prohibited by God in the scriptures, and he makes it very clear. There's no doubt uh, how God wants us to live. The Bible addresses different types of sexual sins, and I'm just going to highlight them. Adultery. Adultery is the willful violation of the marriage contract by either spouse through sexual intercourse with another person. They are breaking their vows to their spouse. God's provision is that a husband and wife should become one flesh and each should be held sacred to the other. There should be no separation of the two once they're married. Exodus 20, 14 says you shall not commit adultery, including in your heart. Sometimes we hear of sexual scandals in the news. You know, politicians, movie stars, athletes, they're all exposed for these affairs that they have. And when they're confronted, their response is, well, these affairs were consensual. I've heard that a lot. You know, they're consensual. They believe that since both people involved were agreeable, that makes it okay. Uh, this philosophy is from the pit of hell. Uh, it does not come from God. It does not come from his word. Uh, you may give yourself permission to commit adultery, but God has not given you permission to commit adultery. Um, and have you bought into that lie? Do you, do you really believe it's true that if it's consensual, it's okay? Well, if you believe it's consensual, then you need to repent uh, because God hasn't given you consent to commit adultery. And that philosophy, when you think about it, they're not thinking about all the people involved. They're not thinking, they're just thinking about their pleasure, their satisfaction. What about their spouse? What about their kids? All the, all the wreckage they leave behind. They're just, they're, they're self-absorbed. They don't care about anybody around them. Another category of sin is lustful thoughts and looks. Adultery of the heart. Lust, to fix the desire upon, to long for, to covet what's forbidden. It's the thoughts and looks of adultery that lead to the acts of adultery. Pornography is a sexual sin of the eyes and the mind. Matthew 5, 28 says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Another sexual sin, homosexuality, sexual intercourse between people of the same gender. I'm just, if you're taking notes, I'm just gonna give you some references. I'm not gonna, uh, say much more about that, but Romans 1, 26 through 27, Leviticus 18, 22, and Leviticus 20, verse 13 are some references to homosexuality. Another thing mentioned in the scripture is bestiality, sexual intercourse with animals. Le 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 sorry, Leviticus 18, 23, and chapter 20, verse 15 and 16. Incest, sexual intercourse with family members, Leviticus 20, verse 17, and verses 19 through 21. Any sexual intercourse outside of the confines of marriage between one man and one woman is forbidden by God. You can't get any clearer. Uh, when you're, you can't read the Bible very long to know what God expects of us. So are you a genuine believer? You should abstain from sexual illicit behavior. If you're involved in sexual behavior prohibited by God, if you're involved in these, this list of things I just mentioned, separate yourself from them. This is not the behavior befitting of a Christian who has been set apart by God. Repent 
separate yourself from these sexual sins, confess your sins to God, and be forgiven. There is forgiveness for sins. But also he wants repentance from you. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Paul told the Thessalonians they should know how to possess their own vessel in sanctification and honor. That word possess means to acquire, to procure for oneself, to gain, to obtain. Uh, that word vessel, it has lots of meanings based on context. It could be, it can mean implement, household utensils, domestic gear, tackle for a boat, goods, stuff. It can refer to persons, the human body, husband and wife. In this context, there's two main interpretations that I came across. Um, first interpretation was that a vessel refers to a wife. Uh, the context of what we're reading is that resisting, he's teaching them to resist and abstain from sexual immorality. The reference is to sanctified maintenance of the, more, of the married state. If these believers were to resist and abstain from sexual sinful behavior, they should obtain a wife. They should only be involved in sexual intercourse within the confines of marriage between one man and one wife. Their marriage should be maintained in sanctification and honor. Sanctification in this verse is the same as it is in verse 3. This, their marriage to their wives should be set apart to God. They should be set apart only to their wife, even in their hearts, heart of hearts. Some men, I think, take pride in themselves that they are faithful to their wives, but yet in their heart of hearts, what is, what's lurking in there? What are they looking at? What are they thinking? God looks at the heart. That word honor means to value, to esteem, to think of something as precious. They were to view their wives as valuable and precious. Uh, this is supported by verse, 1 Peter 3, 7. I'm not going to read that verse, but the same words are used there for honor and a vessel. I am going to read Hebrews 13, 4 to you. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Marriage is honorable, precious, valuable, and costly. That's how we as believers are to view our spouses and our, our marriage vows. Are you married? How is your marriage? Are you faithful to your spouse sexually? Is your marriage maintained in sanctification and honor? Is your marriage to your spouse set apart to God? Are you set apart to your spouse in your heart of hearts? Do you honor your spouse? Do you view your spouse as valuable, costly, precious? Do you dishonor your spouse in thought, word, and deed? Do you value another person's spouse more than your own? Do you covet another person's spouse? Do you wish you were with them instead of your spouse? If you're dishonoring your spouse, Confess your sins to God. Be forgiven. Repent. Ask God to revive your commitment to God and to your spouse. It's never too late. Ask God to help you maintain your marriage in sanctification and honor. A second interpretation of this verse is that Paul was telling the Thessalonians they should know how to possess their own body vessel in sanctification and honor. Their body should honor God with sexual purity. They should not commit sexual immorality because it's a sin against your own body. 
That's in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Sexual sins are against your own body. Are you possessing your own bodies in sanctification and honor? Are you and I living a life that is sexually pure? Are you setting your body apart for God, your spouse, or your future spouse? Do you have self-control when you are sexually tempted? Are you sinning against God and your own body? Confess your sins. Repent. Be forgiven. Be cleaned. Ask God to help you be sexually pure. Ask God to help you be sexually self-controlled. Ask God to help you set your body apart for him. If you're single, ask God to help you keep yourself sexually pure while you wait for him to provide you a spouse. I waited a long time for Susan. It was worth the wait. (laughs) Verse 5. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Would you like to be known as a believer who acts like an unbeliever? That would be a slap in the face. Paul taught the Thessalonians a a contrast in sexuality. He told them what they should be in Christ, and he told them what they shouldn't be. He made a comparison between believers and unbelievers. He told them that they they shouldn't be involved in passion of lust. The word lust means an affection of the mind one suffers with, passionate desire, and in this context, a desire for bad things. Paul told them their minds shouldn't be overthrown by evil sexual desires. Why? Because evil sexual desires lead to evil sexual behavior. Paul told them this is the mindset and behavior of someone who does not know God. And that word know in this context, it means to stand in no relation to God. Paul told them they shouldn't think or act like people who don't have a relationship with God. If you claim to have one, you need to act like one. Are you involved in passion of lust? Do you suffer in your mind with an affection for evil sexual desires? Does your evil sexual desires lead you to evil sexual behavior? Do you have the thoughts and behaviors of someone who does not know God, who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus? I don't want to be in that category. If you claim to know God, how is your thoughts and behaviors different than those who don't know God? If your thoughts and behaviors mimic those who don't know God, confess your sins, repent, be forgiven, turn the other way, start imitating Jesus in thought, word, and deed. Verse 6, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. In the King James Version, it says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. That phrase, go beyond, means to go over, overstepping the limits. It has the idea of separating, separating chastity from promiscuous behavior. And that word defraud means to seek to get more, to get an advantage of, or to take advantage of someone. Paul told the Thessalonian believers not to overstep the boundaries God has set for them. To not overstep boundaries set between chastity and promiscuous behavior. Not to take advantage of others in sexual matters. Not to take advantage of the boundaries of marriage. Don't overstep the boundaries of marriage in your heart, because that's where it starts. 
Exodus 20, 17, don't covet your neighbor's wife. That's where all these affairs start from. Are you going beyond or overstepping God's boundaries regarding sexual purity? Is there any separation in your life between chastity and promiscuity? Are you taking advantage of others sexually? Are you taking advantage of the boundaries of marriage? Are you coveting someone else's spouse? Are you married but wish you were married to someone else? That's where coveting will lead you. What about the sin of viewing porn and all it involves? Are you married and looking at porn? If you are, you dishonor your spouse. You devalue them. You don't view your spouse as precious or costly. You're not faithful to your spouse in your heart. When you look at porn, you also take advantage of those you view. Have you ever thought about that? You dishonor them. You devalue those you lust after. There's an interesting article I came across about a, well, almost a year ago. Dr. John Nyhoff, he's the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary, and he wrote this blog called Blood on Your Hands. <clears throat> and a condensed version of this blog was in the AFA Journal October 2018 issue. And the title of that article, if you want to look it up, was A No-Holds-Barred Rebuke Facing the Ugly Truth. And he wrote about the plague of porn. And here's a quote from that article. The pornography industry and related sex trades are a multi-billion dollar criminal infiltrated underworld of 21st century slavery. If you visit the websites, buy the content, lust after the fantasies, and gratify yourself via the entertainment, you are the problem. The pornography industry cannot exist without customers. If you're one, you are a 21st century slave owner. You are ensuring bondage, disease, addiction, and death to those you view. That is a heavy statement. He makes reference in his article to this verse, these verses we're talking about, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6, as he quotes these in his article. He said that fornication is exploiting people made in God's image. He said self-giving love does not defraud another. Defrauding means cheating. Defrauding leaves others less than they were before the exchange. So are you doing this? Do you want to be guilty of this? Come clean if you are. Separate yourself from these sins. Confess your sins. Repent. Be forgiven. Live within the boundaries God has set for us. If you don't repent and come clean, beware, be afraid. Woe is you. Why? Because verse 6 says, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. The word avenger means one who exacts a penalty from a person, a punisher. God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present avenger of those who take advantage of others sexually. David Guzik, the theologian, he said, we can trust that God's will, God will punish sexual immorality and that no one gets away with this sin even if it's undiscovered. Don't think because you view porn in your, the privacy of your phone or computer that you won't be found out. God knows and sees all. Verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. God has a call on every believer's life. It's a call of conduct. It's a call out of one way of life to God's way of life. It's a call out of sexual impurity to sexual purity. Sexual impurity to sexual purity. It's a call out of sensuality based on evil doctrine. It's a call to holy living based on pure doctrine. 
God's call calls us to separate living. Do you hear the call? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are you willing to listen or are you ignoring the call? Ask God to help you live a life of holy conduct worthy of him. Last verse. Therefore he rejects this, does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. So someone who just heard this might disagree with what I said. They may say that what I thought is a matter of opinion. They may reject every word I've, I've said to them. But verse 8 says, you're not rejecting me, you're rejecting God's word. The King James Version uses the word despise. It, it, when I studied this, I thought about David when he sinned and Nathan confronted him. He says, you despise God's word and you threw it behind your back. That's what we're doing if we reject what God says. So reject means to put as of no value, to act towards anything as though it were annulled, to deprive a law of its force by opinion or actions. People do it all the time. They just pretend that this isn't true because they're driven by the desires of their hearts. Are you guilty of pretending you're rejecting man's opinion when really you're rejecting God himself? Do you cling to your opinion over God's word? Do you despise God's word regarding moral purity? Do you act as if God's word has no value? Do you nullify his word in your heart because you don't want to obey? If you're honest with yourselves, you know that God expects holiness. We can't, like I said, we can't read scripture very long without knowing <laughs> that he expects sexual purity. We'd have to be in denial uh, to believe that it's not the case. You may say, I can't stop sinning sexually. And I'll end with this quote. David Guzik says, we have been given the Holy Spirit who empowers the willing trusting Christian to overcome sexual sin. By his spirit, God has given us the resources for victory. We are responsible to use those resources. I'm a firm believer in praying scripture. I like to pray this passage uh, just to, re just to, to, to end. Uh, if you struggle with knowing what to say to God, pray scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, O oh God, that you would help us to abound more and more in the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would teach us how to walk and to please you. We pray that you would help us to know what your commands are. We pray, O oh God, that you would help us to hear the call. Your will is our sanctification. Help us, O oh God, to abstain from sexual immorality. Help us to know how to possess our own vessel. Help us to be pure. Help us to respect our spouses. Help us to be faithful to our spouses. Help us to not be like those who don't know you in passion of lust. Help us to live a life that proves that we have a relationship with you. Help us not to take advantage of anyone or defraud anyone sexually. Help us to remember, oh God, that you are the avenger of all these uh, sexual sins. Help us to walk in you because you have called us to holiness. And I pray that we would not be deceived into thinking that this teaching is from men Help us to know in our hearts that this teaching is from you and that you've given us your Holy Spirit and we pray that you would help us to live a life pleasing to you. Amen.